to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, emergency management, COVID, anything that's relatable to these topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please go to the Voice America webpage uh, for Preparing for the Unexpected. And underneath the graphic, there is a little button that says send host an email. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything I get. If you want to promote a product or service for your company, you can reach me the same way and I can get you some information on that. I want to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, BoastAssessment.com, for sponsoring today's show. Uh, Boast Assessment allows you to track the progress of your own programs and uh, do your own self-assessments, saving you uh, lots of money from uh, consulting fees. And consultants don't send me emails. And I'd like to introduce that uh, as of just the other week, my uh, YouTube channel is now live, Preparing for the Unexpected. So you can go over there and uh, see videos that uh, you know much shorter in length than a radio show um, with me and sometimes there's guests. So uh, check that out, Preparing for the Unexpected on YouTube. Now, long-time listeners, even uh, short-term listeners, will know that I love to read. I read for entertainment. I read for uh, knowledge, you know, increase my skills, everything, you know, and just self-interest sometimes. And today I have an author of one of the books I came across that I enjoyed and wanted to reach out and see if they'd be interested in uh, speaking with us today. And luckily he agreed. So I'd like to welcome to the show the author of Business Continuity Management in Practice, Stuart Hotchkiss. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, uh, I know uh, you and I have sent emails back and forth, and you know I know I've read your bio and everything, but could you give us uh, a minute or two, uh, you know, talk about yourself, what you do, how you got into this industry for our uh, global listeners? Sure. Um, I've been in the IT industry for donkey's years, longer than I care to remember, um, <laughs> and I, about 25 years ago, started in security. Um, I started doing uh, teaching courses for the uh, ISC squared for CISSP um, work. Um, I have always been a customer-facing consultant um, with, with my previous companies, and slowly but surely got uh, got involved in in business continuity and resilience uh, in general, and and. Uh, then the thing that probably really triggered my interest and triggered me writing the book was I had a three-year-long project with a particular customer to deal with everything in business continuity management, um, including um, pandemic preparedness as well as um, crisis management. 
Then my most recent uh, function was dealing with those subjects for Hewlett Packard worldwide. Well, I'm glad so to have you here. Congratulations on the book, too. Hmm. Now, let's jump straight into things because uh, it, not too far into the book, you know, in the preface, you're already uh, immediately saying there are some issues with uh, traditional approaches. Can you kind of uh, touch on what some of those issues are that you've encountered? Uh, yes. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> How long have I got? Um, I think one of the <laughs> well, we've got uh, forty-eight the, the, minutes quite, all together. So go start wherever you want and end whenever you finish. <laughs> there's quite a lot of problems. I mean, one of the major issues, of course, is that some of the professional institutions have managed, whether they wanted to or not, to make uh, continuity management focused on IT, which, of course, it isn't. Okay, mm -hmm. so the whole the word business has almost been lost in in in, in the noise. Um, and the other thing is that uh, business continuity practitioners are always asking questions that people can't possibly answer. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll come to that in a second. And then they go and go ahead and write plans, which are sort of guidelines. They're not plans. A plan needs to be prescriptive and disciplined and executable and make sense and be related to reality. And people need to know that it's bound to fail in some way, shape, or form. So it's it's not a, a process of conflict. It's, it's a process of learning. Um, you add all those things together, and quite frankly, the, the, the BCM doesn't have much credibility in, in the eyes of, of a lot of customers, um, if only because of the fact that when, the, when it does come down to executing the plans, not only do they not align to the problem that you've got, they don't work anyway. They never could have worked. And I, you know, I'll give you some examples of that later, later on. So um, I know how I would fix these problems, and I think I, I can fix them when I, I deal with customers, but um, I really think we have created a situation of BCM where the credibility of the profession is is uh, not what it could be. Are, are you familiar with uh, David Lindstedt and Mark Armour and the um, adaptive movement? Mark Armour, I've heard of. Yes, the others, the others, no. Because it, it, uh, you're you're saying a lot of what they've said, and they've called for things, you know, like you said, the credibility. You know, plans that don't meet uh, need, they're not executable, uh, you know, and, and uh, so I'm just kind of curious to know if you were familiar with uh, with them, because you're saying a lot of the things that they say, and they get a lot of flack for it. Well, yeah, let me, let me give you a couple of examples. I don't know if they've brought up those examples or not, but let's take business impact analysis, all right? Um, mm -hmm. Every company on the planet has had management since its inception whose job it is to make the process of whatever they're producing to deliver to customers, to make that process efficient. And if there's anything that goes wrong or that can be refined, that's management's job. They, they will refine it. They will fix it and so on and so forth. So for most companies, your, your machine is an end-to-end -end single machine. Um, and, and yet we go in and we ask to do a business impact analysis. Now, let me give you a most extreme example of that. 
In fact, I'll give you two. Um, if, I'm, if I'm Boeing and I'm building a 737, um, I've got a, a, a device with bolts on it which attach the wing. Costs about, I don't know, $100. If it fails, the airplane crashes. So does that mean that the business impact of that, that component of, is $100 million, which is the cost of the plane? Of course, the answer is no. And in fact, there is no answer. That's, that, there is no answer to the question anyway, because the, the, the process of it in a company is a single process. There are some processes which don't matter. Um, and here I'll be very controversial. For, for most companies, for example, um, finance is irrelevant as a department. Uh, why do I say that? Because, and, and why do we do a business impact analysis of financial, of the financial part of a company? I, I, I fail to see why. Because if you have accounts receivable, um, which are wrong or late, what difference does it make? Or accounts payable? Everybody has 90 days to pay anyway, so what, what, what's a few days difference make? And what else does finance do? Internal cost transfers and, and salary and payroll and things like that. None of those things are actually critical to the performance of a company if the company's objective is to serve its customers. And as, as, as the icing on the cake, I can remember talking to, um, because we had to do business impact analyses initially. Um, I, I've, I'm against them now. But... Um, we did a business impact analysis or asked the corporate HR um, which processes were business critical, okay? Mm-hmm. And the answer I got back, and they were quite serious about it, was um, the payment of executive bonuses was business critical for them. Really? You can't be serious. There's nothing that human resources or HR does which is critical to the performance of a company in the short to medium term, long term perhaps, but we're talking short to medium term because things which disrupt business, they last a week or two weeks or something like that before, before you get sorted out. We're not talking about something which is three years, but they seriously said and they wanted to have a plan to deal with and be able to perform executive bonuses more quickly if something went wrong, which is ridiculous. And there are loads and loads of examples like that. So that the, the question doesn't have an answer. And when you go in and you start asking questions like that, which is part of the standard processes which you'll see in DRII or BCI and things like that, um, you lose all credibility. Like, for example, if you ask people to do a risk analysis, um, I have seriously heard customers say, um, well, yes, um, that is a risk, whatever, you know, but it happened last year, so uh, it only happens every 20 years, so it won't happen again for another 19. And I said, well, this is like me having my, my car, and I t- take my brand new car out and make sure I have an accident first day, and then I won't need to have it insured for the rest of its time because it won't have another accident. So you, you, you end up asking questions or being inspired to ask questions for which people have no answer and can't possibly ever know the answer. And so once you start down this road, you, you're losing sight all the time of the very fact that 
the word matters in this is business, and business means serving customers. And, you know, it's not about recovery. So for another bugbear of mine, I think the, the whole concept of recovery time objective and the recovery uh, point objective is quite frankly ridiculous. You know, it just doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense for business where what you're trying to do when something goes wrong is immediately have an alternative way of making sure that business serving customers continues. The idea is not to sit back and play cards whilst somebody is recovering the IT system, and that unfortunately is one of the things, one of the images that um, the whole trade of BC has, has got itself into, and it's, and it's a mistake. And it's, it's not changed over the last 15 years from what I can see. I agree. Yeah, sorry yeah, about it, that. It, it, Longer answer than I, <laughs> I anticipated, but um, no, okay. yeah. Well, that, that makes <laughs> sense. You know, I, I'm, over the years now, I'm not a big fan of some of these uh, timings that we're asking because you know, they, they get developed under certain conditions and then something happens and none of those times are applicable. You know, it's like, well, right. you know, four hours was based on X, Y, and Z, but X, Y, and Z didn't happen. Well, then what was the point right. of, you know, the four hours? Yeah. yeah um, now, you talked about the, the BIA, so I kind of want to stay on that for just a little bit. Um, knowing that... Uh, traditional BCM, uh, you know, we're supposed to assess impacts. How do you go about assessing impacts, you know, in a non-traditional method? And is it even necessary? Should we even be concentrating or going down that route? Uh, I'm a bit, bit torn on that. I think it is so embedded in the, in the idea that of, of BC that you need to do an impact analysis. I think a, a BIA, as long as you keep it, really high level to sort of say, you know, we'll look at these things, we won't look at these things, that's okay. Okay, so for example, um, I wouldn't look at the HR department, even though it's, it's part of the org chart, it's, it's, it's irrelevant for VC purposes, okay? Practically speaking, it's irrelevant. It, there are a couple of little things it can do, but they should be pre-planned in advance anyway. Um, Similarly, finance, as I said before, um, there are possibly some other functions, but those two are the ones that stick. And I think a B BIA is it's a good idea to look, you know, very, very broadly. But as I said earlier, one of the problems is that most companies are a monolith. Okay, they, they, the things that you could, for example, from most companies, remove the concept of support. Right, because that is downstream, it takes longer, uh, and so on and so forth, and, and doesn't have a direct impact on your ability to serve customers today. Some of it does, obviously, if you, know, if you deliver a product and it doesn't work, then the guy wants a replacement instantly. But, you know, a lot of after-sales support, um, you know, you probably would put as a lower priority in, in a lot of companies in comparison with manufacturing or production. But the thing I, I think I generally have against BIAs is that you're spending a lot of time and effort 
doing things, and you know, and we're talking about management effort, and we're talking about money and people and interviews and God knows what, to do something which has no no uh, result which is executable, which you can which you can work upon, and and and, and so on. Um, the, the the other thing I. I Related to that subject is is what are the scenarios you should plan for, and very often a BIA will be used to to pretend to try and get the answers to these questions. But there aren't very many. There are only actually five scenarios that impact customers, impact companies. Excuse me. They are loss of staff short term, loss of staff long term. Their loss of facilities long term, loss of facilities short term, and their loss of infrastructure, communications infrastructure in general. There's only five scenarios. You don't need a BIA to know that. Mm-hmm. Each person needs to plan for those um, scenarios. And when I say plan, I mean write down a simple prescriptive plan which people will be able to execute without thinking. And the easiest way to test that is to make sure that the person who was meant to execute it is not the person executing it. Um, we'll come to that later on. So, yeah, the best I can say about a BIA is do a very, very broad brush to sort of clear away some of the, some of the noise. But to be honest, I wouldn't bother doing it in most cases. It, just in case, you know, I'm told I have to do one, you know, taking in um, your suggestion, you know, not with HR and not with finance, how do I go about deciding who I should talk to then, you know, and how high level do I go, you know, I, you know, to, to, to maybe turn around and just say, you know, guys, you've told me to do a BIA, but there's just no point in doing it. How do well, I go about deciding? I, I would... It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing because um, you, you undoubtedly will have within your management structure of your customer some managers who say, well, we have to have a BIA, right, even, even though they're not going to do anything about it, but they, need, they have to have a BIA, so you have to produce something. Um, I, I would try by example and say, okay, we've got a manufacturing company which is, which is receiving goods, Receiving, sorry, excuse me, um, components. It's manufacturing something. It's packaging it up and it's shipping it. So there are four simple steps. Which of those are um, has the biggest impact? Well, there's no answer to the question, and and, and you, you you need to sort of try and look at one of the processes in a company. And as I said earlier, the majority of companies are now monoliths. Management's job since its inception in the company has been to refine so that everything works like clockwork. How can you remove a single component and say, well, this is more critical than any other? It's not. You can't produce goods if you can't receive goods, receive components. You can't sell customers uh, stuff that hasn't been tested, packaged, and shipped, and so on and so forth. So um, I, I would attempt to explain why what is more important is dealing with what can happen to any part of the company. Right? So let's take that mm-hmm. chain that I talked about just then. I would say, okay, um, the thing we're going to plan for is the following. Suppose there's nobody in the receipts department so that 
goods, uh, sorry, components which were used to, for production aren't received. Okay, so that's how do we deal with the lack of staff at that, that point? How do we now deal with the lack of staff in the manufacturing area? How do we deal with lack of staff in the packaging and shipping to a customer area? Okay, so deal with each part of the chain but deal with the scenarios that could impact that part of the chain and it becomes clearer, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the way I would deal with it because it, it is, it's obvious to somebody, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the business impact of um, goods receipt is, but I certainly know what will happen if I don't have any staff. So I better plan for the fact that one day I won't have staff. And that's very simple to do. Yeah. You know, there are things, you, it's very simple to do. Um, similarly, with packaging and shipping, what happens if my shipping companies that ship my, my, my goods to customers can no longer work? Well, the simple plan is I need to have alternatives. So I need to put in place a series of alternatives which I can turn on at the, uh, the, the, you know, the, at the flick of a switch. That yeah. method of, of dealing with the subject is easier for humans to understand than it's a very fairy business impact analysis. And go back to my example, the bolt which crashes the plane. Is it worth $100 million? No. Right. And on, on that <laughs> note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with author and BCM expert and IT expert, uh, Stuart Hotchkiss and his book, Business Continuity Management in Practice. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we? And how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? 
definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with BCM expert and author Stuart Hotchkiss and his book, Business Continuity Management in Practice. Stuart, I just wanted to have one more touch uh, at the BIA there, um, and I'm just wondering, are we, how do I say this nicely without offending it? Oh, forget it. I don't care if I offend somebody. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, is, are we uh, driving the BIA because audit says we have it? It's a checkbox or a tick box on somebody's report. You know, if if there's so many problems with it, why are we doing it? it do you think it's audit that, that might be driving that? No, I don't think it's audit. Uh, I don't think audit um, really knows or cares. And audit in general is an art whereby they have a checklist of things that they have to check, have the things on the checklist being done. If that checklist mm-hmm. happens to have a BIA, um we can say yes or no, we've done a BIA. If the checklist says BIA and then it starts to give all sorts of details of what the BIA should include and so on and so forth, then then audit's going to go and look for the answers to those questions. Um, what needs to change is not audit because audit will do a very good job for you. Um, what needs to change is, is what's on the checklist and What's on the checklist will only change, I think, when people start to realize why they're doing a a business continuity plan in general anyway. Um, And and the thing that people lose sight of is the continuity plan is to make sure your customer is satisfied. That's all. It's not to keep you in business or anything like that. It's to make sure that your customers are satisfied. And... If a BIA assists that process, then fine, use it. But in my view, it doesn't. Um, but if people kept their eye on on keeping your customer satisfied when they talk, they talk about business, I'll give you I'll give you a simple example. Um, in uh, in general, people will use corporate mail service to send mail to customers, and customers will send mail back to you on that corporate mail service. What happens if your infrastructure is lost? You can't send mail. You can't receive mail. So what do you have to do? Well, you need to set up immediately an alternative mailing system. Now, you'd probably use a public mail service like something from Microsoft or something from Google or whatever. But 
it's not just a question of me sending a mail to Alex Fulick um, and it comes from Stuart Hotchkiss at Gmail because you're going to say, well, who is this guy? I mean, it could be pirated. It could be, it could be a scam. So there are certain preparatory things that you need to do in advance, like um, tell your customers that in certain circumstances they'll get mail from this address, have some mechanism of recognizing the customer and identifying the customer and so on and so forth. So there are certain simple things. But what I'm trying to say is that you can immediately have continuity of customer service without recovering your IT infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And people lose sight of that. They, they instead, they focus on recovery time objective for the IT infrastructure and spend millions of dollars doing it, when in fact they could be up and running two seconds later using an alternative way of processing simple things. And as I say, the problem is that people and the, the, in, the, the trade organizations like DCI, amongst others, focus too much on IT, sadly, and they don't focus on customers. And, uh, it's, and of course, they make it even worse by um, focusing on disasters, um, which is just ridiculous, you know, floods and things like that. So, um, yeah, we'll come to that subject undoubtedly. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question there. <laughs> no, that, that answers it. You know, I, I do like your comment, you know, change the checklist. You know, I, I think that's... Yeah. That really says it all because, you know, um, you're right. Audit's going to check what's on that checklist. And if BIA is there, as an example, well, then they're going to check it. Yeah. And if it gets more detailed than that, well, lead- they're going to check it. That's their role. And this, lead- this leads you into the, this leads into the, the concept of the plan. When I write yes. a plan, I try to write it in um, pseudocode. I don't know if you know what pseudocode is, you know, but it's, it's, it's almost like... A programming language, you, you put, put written in, in plain English. You know, you do this, you do this, you do this. If this happens, you do this. Okay? Very simple. Just like programming language. Not, not, and, and, and this, this is serious. I have seen a business continuity plan, which was presented to and accepted by senior management. And the guy had written in the plan, um, in the event of uh, flooding, right? I don't know what this has got to do with continuity specifically. In the event of uh, flooding, consider a second source for um, sandbags. Uh, I mean, hmm. how ridiculous can you get? Can consider? So it, it's flooded, right? And I've only got one source for my sandbags, and I'm, now that it's flooded, I'm going to consider having a second source. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And that's, that's not a plan. A plan is, if it floods and the water goes up a certain level, put sandbags in. Right? That's right. the plan. Not to, you know, see what I mean? And so every plan that audit will assist in checking with you and auditing essentially needs to be simple and prescriptive. And the person who executes it should not be the person who wrote it. There you Why go. is that? If you do that, you'll have a plan that works. Why should the person who wrote it not be someone, the same person who executes it? Because there will be um, 
things that they they assumed in there, right? Uh-huh. Right. You don't want assumptions in plans. You want something. You know, if I write a plan, a kid of three should be able to execute it because every instruction is simple and straightforward. <clears throat> You don't want a situation where the guy says, and so what I, what I would do in testing, for example, get a group, group of people in, in for testing and you have the heads of, let's say, departments, yeah? When you start to you do your run-through test, the first thing you say to one of the heads of the department, you're here, but you're absent from the meeting. So what's your plan? What plan did you put in place for you not being able to execute your department's plan. So you take now, a key person out do, of the mix, so to speak. You, you, you can leave them in the room if you want, but you, you immediately yeah. tell them they're no longer part of the plan. So they should have a plan that says, oh, yeah, yeah, but if I'm not there, I call up this guy and he substitutes for me. That's the way you do it. That's, where you, that's the way you test crisis management plans as well. So, yeah, a person who wrote the plan will have made assumptions, will know things that other people won't know. Um, here's a stupid example. Uh, open, open, the door, open the door to the, to, the, to the stock room if this situation occurs, okay? He knows where the key is. I don't. Oh, if I'm executing yeah. that plan, my plan should say, open the room to the stockroom door with the key, which is in this drawer. Mm-hmm. That's the level of clarity that a plan has to include, and which never does. So how big does, should a plan be? You know, and because I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, uh, you know, binders with a thousand pages, you know, and I hear those horror stories all the time. You know, it, and I'm from the the school, if you don't find an action item within the first two page, two or three pages at least, that's it. Forget it. You, I don't have time to read the rest. Yeah, because it's not a plan. If if the plan hasn't got actions in it, it's not a plan. It's 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 a novel. Um, and usually, the, usually <laughs> the book that you take out's got dust on it because it hasn't been opened for ten years anyway. Um, how big should the plan be? I don't think there's any size. I think you you, you put your, your your finger on it by saying that the plan should be a list of actions. Now, if you have a complicated situation, you may have think of the checklist that the pilot goes through when he takes off in a plane or something happens in flight. He pulls out from Boeing or whoever a checklist which has got things that should be done and things that should not be done, and he goes through them, and they're not that big. So when you're talking about, you know, potentially a, a plane crashing in a terrible situation with a mechanical failure and God knows what, you probably only have about 50, 40 or 50 action items that you could go through, and there's no reason why a business continuity plan should not be as tight and succinct as that. But they're not. They tend to be novels, and they tend to be guidelines, and they tend to be um, full of assumptions and, and, and mixing all sorts of things together. Um, so I, I don't think there's a, there's a limit on the actual size. The, the, the limit is what the limit you spoke about, which is that the plan should only be a list of actions and nothing else. Okay, so so it can be any size as long as it's actionable and people can follow it, right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Good, because that you know I I I've 
come across way too many plans. Um, and, and even when I first started out, you know, I was guilty of it too. Uh, too much uh, fluff. You know, who wrote the document? Yeah, exactly. All the meetings. You, don't need you know, you and don't all need this other fluff. stuff you, you, that you doesn't need, need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm say, now, people, people should think of think of a checklist for an aeroplane, and that's that's a classic. They've they've been through this, and that's why they write their business continuity plans when the plane is about to crash, in a simple, actionable list of items, and that's it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I think that's a good example using the airplane, you know, in the checklist because we. You know, we hear about that. We see it on TV even, you know, uh, on TV shows. They, they're they actually going through their checklists, you know, before they fly. Yeah. Got to do this, got to do that. You know, even though it's all made up and it's Hollywood uh, version, they are, we're actually seeing them go through what you're describing. Yes. And when something goes wrong in flight, they go through a checklist too. And they have a book. You, actually, they have a hard, hard copy as well as on the screen, but they have a book. Of, of of continuity plan, yeah? where we are now flying in certain situations which cannot continue. So we have a flight continuity problem. What do we do? And Boeing has thought about every single thing that could possibly go wrong, and has written a checklist that people should execute. And then none of them are very big. Really, you'd think you'd think it'd be yeah, a, you know, a plan for an airplane would be well, kind of massive. Not. It's not. How many things can you do on a plane? Suppose, suppose, um, suppose I've lost the tail of the plane, and this does happen. It has happened. In fact, I was reading about the Japanese airline, Japanese the JAL seven four seven that lost its tail. Well, in in those circumstances, the, the guy's going to realise that um, you know he's not got um, directional stability, so he's going to try. A certain number of things. He's going to reduce power. He's going to do. There's a certain number of things the guy needs. He's going to try and move the plane with ailerons, and he's going to try it, and it works. It works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There's a whole series of things, but they're not that complicated because you don't have that many things that you can actually play with on a plane. You have the control surfaces, you have the speed, you have the attitude, um, you have the height. After that, I mean, there are no million combinations, and business is no different. Mm -hmm. We're making it more complicated than it needs to be. And I've had situations where you say to somebody, "This is what we do in that circumstance." They say, "Are you sure?" But yes, that'll, that'll that'll do what you're intending to do. Um, there's a natural tendency to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Well, on that, I've got one more question before we take our next break. Does that mean our, our plans really, sh I don't want to say high level, but they should be uh, short, sweet, direct to the point without getting into all the um, minute little activities under underneath? You know what I'm getting at? You know, if it's, you know, uh, like use your example, unlock the storage room with the key, with the key in this desk. You know, you don't put in, right. you know, uh, other details of, you know, uh, about the desk and about the room and all things like that. You just keep it oh. uh, simple, one, one say, two sentences, right to the point. Absolutely. Why add any more detail? What keep about it simple? And, and, and as I say, the, 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 the way to test whether it's simple enough is give it to somebody who's unfamiliar 
and say, can you, you can, you know, go through this and tell me, and uh, you do it for me and let me see what happens. And if they can understand it and it works, it's good enough. What if uh, you're referencing some sort of a, uh, a detailed manual? You just reference it, saying, go get this manual that has all the detailed steps to rebuild a mainframe or whatever. You know, just reference it that way? Well, I think that the example you've chosen is a bit uh, a bit large because you wouldn't. What what would what would most likely happen is uh, in the scenario you you do to is the mainframe no longer works, and presumably somebody somewhere has got a book that um, tells you how to make the thing work again. Yeah. Yeah. Is that one? Can I understand that correctly? Right. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Your business continu- your business continuity problem is your mainframe doesn't work. Now, the the the, the, the scenario you're trying to fix is well, what do I do in terms of keeping my customers happy uh, in terms of continuity if my mainframe doesn't work? Because to say, well, um. I have to recover my mainframe, yes, and I, I will have a big book on that, and there'll be somebody special to do that. And you've got two choices. Either you have an alternative way of dealing with the situation where you work without using a mainframe, or you recover it, in which case the action is very simple. You have to tell your customers that they, you won't be up and running for another two days. Yeah. You know, too much business continuity plans have too much IT, which is why I was kind of asking that question. So you you answered it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And on that, mm-hmm. we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking today sure. with business continuity management expert and mm-hmm. author, Stuart Hotchkiss, and his book, Business Continuity Management in Practice. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we? And how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with business continuity management and IT expert and author, Stuart Hotchkiss and his book, Business Continuity Management in Practice. Stuart, great first and second segments. Now that we've we've talked about the BIA, you know, our plans, um, how do we get, you know, uh, our testing and awareness, you know, uh, so that they're effective? You know, I, I see a lot of different kinds of tests and they're not really effective. And, you know, people hang up a poster and call that an awareness <laughs> session. So, <laughs> Well, I, 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 I am... I am 100% against the way awareness is done these days. Um, And I'll tell you for why. Uh, I don't actually care if somebody who works for me is aware that business continuity is an issue and, and that, you know, buildings can blow up and all those sorts of things. I don't care whether they are aware or they're not aware. What I want them to do is that when management says this situation, here's the document on how we deal with it, that's what they need to do. So the only thing people need to be aware of is there are a certain number of scenarios predefined by management, and those things, uh, each of those scenarios will have an instruction booklet, and you follow the instructions, full stop. Um, I'm also not in, interested in their opinion. And I'm certainly not interested in, 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 you know, cute T-shirts and hats and pencils and all that sort of junk that goes with awareness campaigns because mm-hmm. it's not important. Because as I say, why do I care if somebody is, is aware of the subject of business continuity? Um, it's, imagine a soldier. A soldier is told, and in certain circumstances, he does certain things. That's what the sort of discipline you need in the execution of continuity plans. That's all. So awareness as a subject, uh, I think, is way overblown, and there's far too much time, money, effort, and attention on the concept of awareness. People are not being trained as continuity experts. They They should be being trained as executors of a checklist and nothing else. When it comes to testing, um, 
very simple. If your checklist is, 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 is simple enough, then you get people in a room and you run through your checklist. And as I say, the, the nice thing to do is to halfway through the checklist, tell somebody that they're no longer part of the, uh, you know, they, they have just died or something. And they have to, their alternative has to step in immediately and that sort of thing. So just make it as realistic as possible. But the testing should be a checklist, knowing full well that it may not work. Fine. Okay, so we modify the checklist. So I, 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 I think that the problem we have in general is a lack of discipline and a lack of prescriptive plans. And this translates into my favorite bugbear, which is awareness campaigns. Ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I liked what you said about uh, you know the testing. You know, if, it, if if the checklist doesn't work, change the te- the checklist. You know, um, I, I've seen uh, I've seen and I've been in these situations where executives, you know, you, you're not allowed to tell them that you found gaps. You know, so people you know and organizations move forward. <clears throat> excuse me, without actually really communicating, you know, that that checklist was incorrect. You know, they don't want to know that there's problems, which makes no sense. Well, you're raising, you're raising a, a, a good point there. Sorry to interrupt you, Alex, but, which no, is that okay. the skill which, by the way, you will find no mention of in BCI and DRII and in many, many books on the subject. Um, the skill that's the most important is that the business continuity manager and staff need to have um, very, very good soft skills. There is nothing, it, 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 it's, there's nothing at all wrong with going to a manager and saying, oh, we ran through this thing, this didn't work, this didn't work, we fixed this, and so on and so forth. If a person doesn't have soft skills, they won't get around that. They, they will defend to the end something which is indefensible. Um, and making a good continuity plan work and developing a continuity plan requires more than anything else, soft skills on behalf of the the continuity manager, essentially. Um, Yeah. But as I say, those those things are not mentioned generally in the trade in general. You can read as many books as you like. Most people just think it's not important. But it's like in project management, the most critical thing is not, you know, rolling out a 25-foot-long Microsoft project plan. It's soft skills to get people to do things when they don't work for you. And if you're a business continuity manager, you can essentially guarantee that nobody in your team and nobody you're trying to to get to do things works for you. Management don't. The people in finance and HR and shipping and all of the other individual functions don't work for you. If you haven't got soft skills, your plan hasn't got a prayer. I like that. I like that a lot because I also work in project management. So I know yeah, exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> I yeah. know exactly How do you make somebody who doesn't work for you, who has no interest in doing what you want, how do you, and each person is different, how do you make them do something that they don't want to do, that you can't fire them for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's soft skills. And the same yeah. applies in continuity management. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you completely. Now, I know we've only got a, f- a few minutes left. Um, I-, I was wondering, you know, where do you think or how do you think COVID-19 has impacted business continuity? 
And now I know you talked about the BIA um, and, and when COVID-19 you know, hit, uh, I didn't see a lot of mention about BIAs or risk assessments or, um, you know, e- even people, well, basically I people think, running around, oh, plans, I need to update my plan. I think uh, it, it, COVID-19 has had a couple of impacts. One, it hasn't had any actual impact on companies because the or continuity plans, excuse me, because companies have had their business cut short by by the government. They've realized that if people can't work at home, they can't work. And there was no continuity plan that they could have developed for that other than to make sure that everybody was able to work at home. I think Mm -hmm. the other thing is it's going to have an impact in terms of future plans because people are going to realize, I hope, that um, you, you, you have to plan for the impact of an event rather than, than anything else. So in the case of COVID-19, no staff, people can't come into the office and some people only can work at home. There's going to be, that's going to change our working methods in the future. But other than that, um, well, it hasn't, hasn't had a great, great impact. And the companies I've worked for all had pandemic plans anyway for dealing with um, sanitation and um, security, things like that. So um, it's not really had the impact that people, people wanted. And it's, uh, by the way, it's, it's, it's the same. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You finish your thought. I was going to say it's, it's the same as uh, when people say, uh, um, "Oh, there's been a, there's a hurricane." So you know, what's the continuity plan for the hurricane? Well, we had a hurricane last year. And what do we do last year? We sort of, you know, the hurricane itself is not something you should plan for. You should plan for the impact of the hurricane, which is that buildings get knocked down and people can't get to work. Those, mm-hmm. those two scenarios, by the way, are exactly the same two scenarios that you'd have if it was COVID-19 or a transport strike or bad weather. There's no difference. People can't get to work, yeah. and that's it. So you plan for that. You don't have to go into the details, which a lot of continuity plans do, of you know the emergency services response to hurricanes. That's not your business. Your business is... I haven't got people to execute my business. How do I execute my business with no people? Mm-hmm. And let the fire department and the police do the job that they're paid for, but focus on your business continuity problem and not their problem. So COVID-19 yeah. is the same. I, I, I agree with you. There's so much focus on the trigger, you know, the different things that could pull yeah. the, the, uh, the trigger rather than, you know, <laughs> you should be focusing on the bullet. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and then you end up with a plan of 60 pages of all sorts of stuff related to the trigger, which has got nothing to do, and, and you, you filter through it, and you try, well, what am I going to do for the people? I've got no people to run my business. What do I do? It's not in the plan. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Anyway, yeah I, I, there we are. I agree. No, I, you know, uh, uh, boy, I've only got two minutes left. My goodness. Um, things just fly. Um, so Stuart, I, I've really enjoyed talking to you cause I really like, you know, hearing what you have to say, you know, um, hopefully there's Thank another opportunity at some point, <laughs> yeah. 
But this has really been good. You know, uh, thank you for sharing your time and expertise and, and the examples because uh, you know I've really liked uh, hearing what you've had to say and you know um, really suggesting you know changes and where we re- need to focus. You know, in this industry. Okay. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Alex, and uh, we'll talk. We'll talk again. I hope. So um, it's been very interesting. Thank you. Well, like I said, I'm going to get you in touch with uh, David and Mark of uh, Adaptive uh, Business Continuity because uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to know there's somebody in Europe that thinks and talks just like (laughs) they do. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So thank you once again for sharing your time and expertise. I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, To everybody uh, out there uh, listening, uh, again, if there's a topic you want us to touch on or you want to be a guest, please feel free. Send me an email. Uh, you can do the same if you want to promote uh, a product or service. You know, uh, thanks to everybody at Stone Road. Uh, please check out my new YouTube channel, Preparing for the Unexpected. I've already got some videos up there. Uh, lots more to come. Uh, they've already been filmed, so they'll get up there eventually. Um, so in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.